It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Two moms looking for inspiration wherever, wherever we, we can, can find, find it. it. Welcome to Tangential Inspiration Podcast. I'm Teresa Wymetallic. I'm Colleen Torgerson. And today we're going to talk a little bit about a woman named by Root Mary Galdikas. She's the Jane Goodall for orangutans, basically. Oh, wow. Okay. And then I'm going to chat about a documentary my mom had me watch called Landfill Harmonic uh, Orchestra out of Paraguay. Oh, wow. And all of the instruments are made out of recycled junk. Okay. Garbage. Yeah. I love documentaries. Me too. I think I've said that before. <laughs> But I really do. I do, I do too. <laughs> My short mm-hmm. will be about Huga. Oh, I'm so excited. Yes. To, and to. I know that's. I, I'm excited to talk about yeah. it. We've got a lot to talk about in episode 124. So most people at least recognize the name Jane Goodall. We yes. covered her lifetime of work with the chimpanzees and back in episode 80. And anyone familiar with the movie Gorillas in the Mist might be mm-hmm. familiar with the gorilla expert, Diane Fossey, who's played by Sigourney Weaver. The funny thing about oh. Sigourney Weaver, my dad just for a long time thought every single actress was Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> Someone would come on, she'd be blonde. Is that Sigourney Weaver? No, no dad. <laughs> he thought she was in everything, but That's she cute. really was in that movie. Yes. I would not expect everyone to be familiar with this third woman who has spent her life living with another great ape. The orangutans. Like Jane Goodall and Dr. Fossey, Beirut May Galdikas has spent 50 years living with, studying, and saving orangutans. Wow. They just are always so peaceful at the zoo, but I know that they're not always that way. I think you could say that for most animals that yeah. are in the wild, though, That's too, true. right? Beirut was born in Germany in 1946, just after the end of World War II, and her parents were Lithuanian refugees who were fleeing the Soviet invasion Mm -hmm. of Lithuania. When she was two years old, her family moved to Canada, where her father found work as a miner. As a child, she was always outside, looking for bugs, searching, you know, for different creatures, pulling rocks up to see what was underneath them, looking at the ducks in the pond, squirrels in the trees. She just would be watching for critters. Right. The first book she checked out of the Toronto Public Library was, can you guess? Oh, no, I can't. Curious George. Oh, that's... (laughs) Isn't that cute? That is super cute. She fell in love with monkeys and the idea of traveling to far-off jungles to find monkeys for herself. Right. Later, news stories of Jane Goodall and Diane Fossey fueled her passion for great apes. Eventually, Beirut's family moved to Vancouver, British Columbia, where she started attending the University of BC. That's where she met her future husband. Her family moved again, and this time they went to Los Angeles, and she started attending UCLA and studied psychology and zoology. She married Rod Brindamore and started her graduate degree in anthropology, so smart lady here. Yes, for sure. It was during her graduate studies that she met paleoanthropologist Louis Leakey. He was based out of Africa and really studied primates in their natural habitat, as well as bones. Oh, that sounds so interesting to me. And very dirty. I just love archaeology, though, and that just kind of seems like it's part of that, and so that just sounds amazing to me. You should go to Africa and 
I know. And do one of these studies. Leakey offered to help Beirut establish a study research center in Borneo to study orangutans. Does that sound interesting? I think I'd no, rather dig in the dirt. I was going to say, with all the bones. bones. Just for me, personally. <laughs> See, and I'd be the animals. So there we go. Leakey believed that women observe things better than men and therefore make the best scientists for field research. I mean, this is coming from a man. I love it. Leakey had previously helped establish research grants for Jane Goodall and Diane Fossey. Leakey joked that the three women were the trimates. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> as all three women had been instrumental in studying the great apes. Do you know the difference between a monkey and a great ape? I don't. I did not either. Okay. Monkeys have tails and apes do not. Well, that's true. Also, monkeys are usually smaller and have narrow chests, while apes are larger and have broad chests. And weirdly, apes have an appendix, while monkeys don't. (laughs) Apes are generally considered more intelligent and have more complicated languages and are known to use tools. Well, and apes are definitely, I mean, that that really kind of doesn't surprise me they have an appendix Mm because they're supposed to be more similar to humans. So, chimps, gorillas, orangutans, and bonobos are considered great apes, and gibbons are known to be a lesser ape. <laughs> it took two years of fundraising, but in 1971, Barut and her then husband, Rod Brindamore, who was a photographer, moved to Indonesia, Borneo. Borneo is the world's third largest island, and it's divided up by three countries Indonesia, with the largest area, okay. Malaysia, the second largest, and Brunei, with a small section in the north. The island is largely jungle, with the rainforest being estimated around 140 million years old. Wow. I can't even wrap my head around that. And the snakes that mm-hmm. are in there. See if that. I think I'll just go to a dusty desert. <laughs> yeah. and dig in I'll some. go there with you over this. The rainforest is home to several unique animals, including the Borneo elephant, the eastern Sumatran rhinoceros, and the clouded leopard. It's also home to the Bornean orangutan. There are no roads in the rainforest, so Beirut and her husband had to travel to Camp Leakey in the Tanjut putting reserve by boat. They had to take a steamboat, speedboat, and finally dug out canoes to make it to the research site. Oh the center has no telephones, roads, electricity, television, or mail service. It was a thatched roof hut with no running water. Additionally, there were all kinds of mosquitoes. Flies, leeches, crocodiles, fire ants, poisonous caterpillars that drop from trees. Yeah, sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) Additionally, when she got there, it took days and days and days for her to even spot an orangutan in a distant treetop. Orangutans, unlike other great apes, are more solitary and they live in the trees, making them harder to observe. Mm -hmm. Shortly after she arrived, though, Beirut found a baby orangutan being kept by a trapper in a cage. She was able to go get an Indonesian official to come confiscate the young orangutan. Having few options, the official left the baby orangutan with Beirut, who named him Sugito. At first, Sugito was hostile towards Beirut and Ron, and I wouldn't blame him. Right. Because of what the trapper had done. Well, yeah, it's the, your first human instinct. Yeah. Yes. And if you're, Didn't treat you right. No, exactly. So. But eventually, he accepted them as his parents and would constantly accompany Beirut, who he clung to. She said she had a hard time changing clothes because Sigito would be so clingy that she couldn't get her clothes oh. on and off. <laughs> Cute little baby. That's so sweet. Yeah. Over the years, more and more rescued orangutans were delivered to Beirut and rehabilitated 
then eventually released. Beirut said of her adopted family that she was surrounded by wild, unruly children in (laughs) orange suits who had not yet learned their manners. Despite a number of orangutans living in her home, she'd come to Borneo to study orangutans in the wild, not her home. It took more than two months for her to find her first orangutan in the wild that she could reliably track. She named her Alice using Jane Goodall's method of naming individual apes by name, starting with the A name and working through the alphabet to Z. Okay. I still think it would be hard to remember. Yes, I do too. Other than Alice, she didn't have much luck until Christmas Day when she ran into a mother and a son orangutan who she named Beth and Bert. (laughs) So to be. (laughs) Beth and Bert were not afraid of Beirut, and she was able to study them extensively in the wild. The longer she stayed in the jungle, the more orangutans she was able to find and study. From 1971 to 1978, Beirut and Rod stayed in Borneo studying the orangutans who had largely evaded being studied before. She watched and studied their habits, diets, social interactions, family histories, parenting, their use of tools and territories. And while Beirut did not want to leave Borneo, Rod did. They eventually divorced and Ron took their two young children who had been born in Borneo to live with him in Canada. Beirut moved back to Canada and became a professor at Simon Fraser University. Her position and her PhD allowed her to return to Borneo to continue her studies. There, she married a native tribesman who shared her passion for saving the orangutans that are critically endangered by poaching, loss of habitat, and climate change. She and, I'm going to try to pronounce her husband, Pakbo Habijam Long, I'm sure that's wrong, had two children together, Jane and Fred. Oh, cute. Beirut wrote a number of books on orangutans and has done much to protect them, including starting the Orangutan Foundation to help support projects to protect and rehabilitate orangutans in Borneo and Sumatra, the two places left in the world with wild orangutan populations. She has a really cute book. She didn't write it on beautiful pictures of her taken with her studying the orangutans that I checked out of the library. So that is at the library. And if you're interested in learning more about Beirut, Gallidacus, there's a 2011 documentary called Born to be Wild. The pictures of her with the orangutans are just so sweet. I don't think it's streaming anywhere for free, okay. but you can rent it several places online for about $3. Half of the documentaries on Gallidacus and the orangutans, and the other half is about Daphne Shedrick in Kenya, who works with baby elephants. That How, is adorable. Yes. Can we just so have a moment cute. of prayer, though, that she had two kids? <laughs> Little kids in that forest. I know, I know. And no wonder the husband would want to leave with all those critters <laughs> flying about. And yeah. That does caterpillars, sound amazing at the same time, like though. Like poisonous caterpillars falling oh from the gosh, trees. I can't. Yeah. And yeah, with so, little kids around. I know. Brave woman, for I sure. I know, I agree. So once again, we were talking documentaries. Yay! <laughs> and my mom sent me this suggestion for the landfill harmonic. I have no idea how she came across it, but I'm so excited she did because it's the best thing I've watched in a long time. It took me too long to watch it since it's got subtitles. Yes. So you actually have to sit down, pay attention, but it's so worth it. Released in 2015, the documentary's been around for a while, and it's evident that it's received a lot of press, but somehow I missed it. Do you know where it's streaming? Just to... Um, Canopy. watch it? So I watched it off of Canopy, which is through the public library. Okay. And that's Canopy with a K. Okay. 
And Canopy is totally free. You can access it with your library card. Oh, great. I've never so done that. People can watch this. Yes. Apparently, this this whole thing went viral with some of the scenes from this documentary. Okay. And I don't remember that at all. I don't either. Maybe once you start talking about no. it, it will ring a bell with me. So, I am clearly not in the know. I'm not cool <laughs> enough to have known about uh, this. Me neither. <laughs> for me, when I think of an orchestra, I think of these expensive instruments. For sure. Guys in, in their tuxes and ladies looking like they're ready for a black tie event. The recycled orchestra proves that isn't always the case, as all of the instruments are created out of garbage. Okay. Literally trash. Wow. And, I, you know, I love a lotus so much that I have a tattoo of a lotus. I love the concept of beauty blooming amongst the mud, untouched by the ugly around it. And I see the recycled orchestra much the same. Kachura is a town built on a landfill site, for lack of a better description, because it's really not a town. Okay. It's like a slum surrounding the dump in Kachura out of, um, in Paraguay. It really is just a dump area, and these people just started building little shacks next to the dump. So that's the air quotes town. Garbage collectors are sorting through the rubbish in search of anything they can sell, anything they can salvage for food, to help them survive. For plastic, if they get a pound of plastic, they can sell it for 10 cents. A pound of cardboard, they can sell it for 5 cents. They just are constantly going through this stuff and looking trash, garbage, gross, smelly. And so much work for so little. Yeah. And in the sun, and then a lot of times they're burning stuff out there, so it's hot too. Right. They're just doing whatever they can to survive. Most of the places don't have any running water, no electricity, and it's just hard to comprehend the level of poverty of this area without seeing the pictures, without watching this video. I can't imagine the smells. When it rains, it causes the river to overflow and floods the community. Oh, my goodness. And just let that sink in. You have that garbage water. Mm -hmm. And just, yeah. The area is named after the Kachura Lagoon and and as of 2019, was the home to about 2,500 families. Wow. Families. When I first read that, I thought 2,500 people in this slum area. Families. But 2,500 families. So it is a large spot, though, isn't it? Yeah, For... I don't. I didn't look up the land area. Right. But, um, I mean, it's definitely like the size of our town. It's okay. um, a town size. I okay. think it's growing because people Expanding. are building shacks further and further up the hill. Sure. And just on the outskirts of Ascension, Quechera is the largest garbage dump in South America. And when you look to see what crops they have there, yeah. their one and only crop is garbage. Oh, that's their crop. The town is relatively new since it only was created after people started staying there once they were evicted. Oh, my goodness. Poverty okay. is the norm. To make money, they sort through the trash 24 hours a day looking for items to sell. And like I said, we're talking 10 cents for a pound of plastic and 5 cents for a pound of cardboard. cardboard. That's a lot of work. That, that Like I said, for so little. Yes. I just can't imagine. Gangs and drugs are prevalent. It would just be so easy to feel hopeless. But the Recycled Orchestra offers just a glimmer of hope for these kids who have the odds obviously stacked against them. I think the only way people can truly comprehend the dire situation is to see the photos of trash everywhere. Along the streets, in the streams, it's impossible to look in any direction and not see garbage. Their dwellings are, I'm 
pretty certain, built from the items they've scrounged in the dump. That would make sense. There's just plastic, all uh, like plastic bags and just trash. Environmental technician Gavio Chavez went to Kachura as a part of a state recycling project, which sadly that ended up failing. But he did give them an unexpected and very unique type of recycling, probably the coolest one I've seen. When he arrived, Chavez was shocked at the living conditions these children endured. In ways, they were treated like garbage, too. I mean, they were just left to roam. They were forgotten about and left on I, the I streets just, for their... I, I also just feel so concerned about sickness. I know. It's just with, concerning to me, about, especially with the children. Yeah. Care, hospital care, just right. not... You don't have running water. Yes. Their water isn't... It's all contaminated. You can't right. drink water there. Right. So they're just trying to survive. Yes, they are. They were called names for being trash pickers. And their community really had nothing to look forward to. That is until Chavez arrived. Chavez plays um, the clarinet and guitar, and he thought music would be a great way to lift the spirits, you know, the kids in the area. So he decided to give music lessons. But the people don't have money for food. So they're not going to pay for lessons. Yes. They're not going to pay for lessons. They can't afford a musical instrument. So they got creative and made instruments out of their one crop. Garbage. Garbage. <laughs> um, Chavez sorted through the garbage looking for oil cans, spoons, forks, bottle caps, basically anything that can be used to make an instrument. They have cans, wooden spoons, bent forks. One of the ensemble, cellos, uses an oil drum for its body. String pegs are created from old cooking utensils and even the heel of a worn out woman's shoe. So creative. Really. I know. <laughs> The drum heads are made out of old x-ray film held in place oh with copious amounts of packing tape. Right. And uh, this, they have saxophones that are made out of drain pipes, melted copper, coins, spoon handles, cans, bottle caps for the, you know, the um, buttons. Right. It's not buttons, but whatever those things are. Right. Sure. So they get super creative. And Chavez... It, like I said, his skills only went so far. So that's where Dona Cola Gomez steps in. Cola, as they call him, in the documentary used all sorts of things that he found in the garbage before he had been looking for things to sell, just like everybody else okay. there. Because of his lack of education, that was pretty much the only thing he could do. Right. But now he has an even bigger purpose with these instruments. He sorts through the garbage looking for items that he might use to convert into an instrument. Take into account, this man has never seen or held an instrument. Oh, that's so true. So when Chavez asked him to do this, he was completely going off of example, you know, just Maybe saying. Maybe like a picture yeah. or something? Um, I'm sure he if... could show him pictures and kind of explain to him what it was supposed, what sound it was supposed to make. But, you know, he couldn't hold anything. They didn't have a, yeah, just amazing that, yes. that he was able to do this. He just had the verbal descriptions, and still the instruments that he is creating are just amazing. Like I said, using bottle caps, coins, oven trays, pipes, x-rays, Kula has created a complete orchestra, providing a whole new world for the kids. That's amazing. A traditional violin, they noted in the documentary, would cost more than a home in Kachura. Right. Plus, because of that, it would undoubtedly be stolen. Right. And sold. So how perfect is it that they have instruments that have absolutely zero value, except for value to the performer, sure, obviously. Sure, absolutely. 
I read one stat that said cola makes about three violins a week. With garbage. Yeah, with garbage. Just the violins. The music lessons not only kept kids and are keeping kids out of trouble, but gave them hope. In 2008, Sounds of the Earth traveled to Argentina to perform in an international concert series. They would also join the Wetzwil Kling World Orchestra on a European tour presenting nine concerts in Switzerland. So that's what they call themselves, they Sounds did, of the Earth. Yeah, they did that for a while. Great. They've changed their name a couple, okay. name a couple times. Okay. But yeah, Sounds of the Earth Sounds because the Earth. it did like that come one. from the Earth. Yes. Nine concerts in Switzerland, Austria, and Germany. What an opportunity for these kids right? who had never been on a plane. Never been on sure. a plane. They barely, I mean, they don't fill their carry-on for sure. No. I mean, they barely have enough stuff to even need a carry-on. Right. What's what they're wearing yeah. and their instrument. instrument. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's easy to see why the Recycled Orchestra, that's their name, received the Prince Claus Award in 2013, given to individuals, groups, and organizations whose cultural actions have a positive impact on the development of their societies, which is definitely the case Absolutely. with this group. Yes. Yes. I'm not very familiar with Metallica or Megadeth. <laughs> okay, I prefer Metallica. I do like Metallica. <laughs> Some songs from Metallica I do know. Yes. Megadeth, I, I couldn't. Mm-mm. Yeah, but... They've performed with both bands. Oh, my goodness. As well as Stevie Wonder. The bassist from Megadeth actually traveled in the documentary to Katura to visit with the kids. That's wonderful. And after seeing that, i got to say, I'm so impressed with the heart of this guy. Yes, I am too, just even hearing about it. Yeah, who would have thought Megadeth guy would have (laughs) such a huge heart? Yes. So, the Recycled Orchestra performed Symphony of Destruction in August 2013 with Megadeth. (laughs) And the following March, they joined Metallica at a concert in Bogota. There's a famous guitarist in Paraguay named Berta Rojas. And she regularly travels from Maryland to go back home in Paraguay to help teach the kids. She noted that this story of the Recycled Orchestra has filled her heart and soul with inspiration and that these kids, it's just so inspiring that they could make something so beautiful from garbage. Right. So I got to say this documentary opened my eyes for sure, not only to the living conditions some people endure, you know, we just don't even... Can't even wrap my head around it. No. But just how much music can triumph anywhere. Like, you know, with dance. Right. Same art. Right. How it can bring people together. And most importantly, give them just a little bit of hope. Looking forward. Yeah, exactly. Music classes have taught the kids the importance of respect and responsibility. Mm. And some of them want to become musicians or music teachers. And the parents, of course, are thrilled. The parents would love for them to get out of the town. Right. And one guy was like, I want them to take me with them too. (laughs) I know they don't want to be there. And they like every parent, they want something better for their children. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that sounds wonderful. It's a, it's so good. And I love the whole concept of upcycling and everything about it, but this whole story takes it to a new level. Reminded me to be grateful for all that I have, but even more so reminded me to look for ways that we can spread a little hope when there appears to be none. You look at that area, and you would never think such beautiful things could come out of it. 
The creativity itself is inspiring. And I loved seeing the joy and the pride on their faces when they were doing these concerts and on the parents' faces when they finally got to see their kids perform. When they went to their first concert, it shows them there, and the parents are just beaming and in shock that they're. I'm sure just even in awe of the building that they're in and the seats that they're sitting in. I mean, along with seeing their kids, it's the whole thing. Yeah, the whole experience, the concert. Correct. Yeah. That we take probably for Uh, granted a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, a church service would be similar to what they are. That's the level of music. Right. And yet these people had never experienced that. Right. One woman said it was a gift from God. They'd always been looked down on for living in the garbage. But now they were recyclers instead of trash pickers. Right. I love the confidence the music has given these kids, and they have a lot to be confident about. They've worked hard to learn music, and even if it doesn't lead to a job in the music industry or in the music field, it still has changed lives. And it was such, just such a beautiful thing to see coming out of trash. Right. So I'm so glad my mom shared that. And like I said, you can just download and stream it off of Canopy with a K, and it's called Landfill Harmonic. Sounds wonderful. From the Recycled Orchestra, the world sends us garbage. We send back music. We have had some nice days here in Oregon. Yes, we have. Last week. Ending, but- Hush. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday was amazing. Mm-hmm. Today, too. But like Teresa said, spring is coming. But also in Oregon, it's it's still gray. Yeah. And, and the rain is not completely over. We don't. And so. like summer doesn't start here until July 5th. Agree. So. And it ends October 31st. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I always say on Halloween is when we start yeah. wearing coats. So I am grateful yeah. for the rain. It does. My our bulbs are coming up. Our lawn is looking mm-hmm. really good. So it does make things pretty. It does make things pretty. So a couple of years back, when COVID was here, my children were also getting older. I had two pretty much out of the house, and they needed me a little less. And I noticed that I really dreaded the darkness and the rain. Mm-hmm. Along with that, I wasn't mm-hmm. as busy anymore. And on Instagram, I had followed. I, I don't know if it's still there, but it's called Eight Minute Classes. Mm-hmm. And there was one on Huga. So tell me mm-hmm. how you think Huga is spelled, Teresa. Do you know? Um, is it H Y G G E? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. So for everybody that has seen that word and calls it Heige, yeah. like is what I thought. <laughs> yes. But it's actually Huga. For the Huga. longest time, I did think it was Same. Huga. Yeah. Same. So. It's spelled funny, and it's kind of difficult to explain, but in brief, Huga is about taking time away from the daily rush to be together with people you care about, or even by yourself, to relax and enjoy life's quieter pleasures. And I really See, like I that. I love that. Mm-hmm. The word Huga dates back to around 1800, at least in the meaning oh, it has uh-huh. today. I know. I think I it's become I had no idea it was that old. I thought it was maybe Me 80s. too. Same here. However, various different definitions of Huga can be traced back to the Middle Ages, hmm. where a similar Old Norse word meant, quote, protected from the outside world. I kind of like that too. Yeah, protected from too. the outside world. Huga actually reflects the values of a Danish society. That's that's another reason you like it. I like yeah. it too. It has some other meanings, equality and well-being of everybody. A spirit of consensus is favored. 
Arguments are unlikely. That's what they like to like. No arguments during Huga, um, since no one wants to ruin the atmosphere. Mm. And I just, I just really loved all that. And then by time so, they do, you know, they do have time to argue. It's probably long gone. Long they probably gone. Are over. Yeah, they're yeah. over it. It is believed that Huga is born out of the need to cope with the psychological challenges people face when sun and warmth are absent for an extended period of time. So, which we have some of those. We have some of those, <laughs> especially after Christmas. That's yeah. a really hard time for me because yeah. it's like, what do I have to look forward to? Yeah. Right? Christmas is over. We're in January and February. Yeah. <laughs> Valentine's Day. Sure. And then St. Patrick's Day. Right. And then Easter. Right. See, I work it with the holidays. Oh, man. Just trying She's to get good. through the dark months. She's good. Yeah. But I, I wrote down some things here and ideas, some that I've done and some that I came up with. One of them is cozy up with a cup of tea under a soft blanket. I think that sounds mm-hmm. more like you. The tea. <laughs> sounds very good. Yes. Read just a good book. Mm-hmm. I have a set of books I love. It's the Mitford series, if anybody's ever read them. They're by Jan Karen, which is K-A-R-O-N. And I always read them at this time of year over and over again. It, I think it's my hookah book. Mm-hmm. What's, <laughs> the, what's the genre? It's... Maybe a little bit religious. It's Mm -hmm. about a priest that lives in a small town Mm -hmm. and just the happenings of those small towns. But Mm -hmm. it's just very warm and sweet. And so um, these are those books that I just love to read Mm -hmm. at this time of year. I love this one. A candle at dinner, even if it's mac and cheese. (laughs) (laughs) What's wrong with mac and cheese? I love that idea. I know. (laughs) Right. Right. I like this too. Relish in quiet company or tranquil solitude. That one... um... Because sometimes it's hard to be alone, but yeah. it's a good idea to relish in it. Yeah. Like, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay, especially if you're, you know. This is one I do a lot. Light lamps, so when I walk into a room, it's light. So today, as I was leaving to come here, it was around 7, starting to get dark. I went upstairs. I put on my shoes. I actually flipped on the light in my bedroom, like the lamp. Because mm-hmm. for me to walk into a room, even with a small light, mm-hmm. really helps my mood. Mm. So I'll do that around my house at this at this time of year when it's gray. Even if I'm not exactly in the room, I'll just go on and flip on just a little lamp or light a small candle. What's so, so. funny is that I'm the same way except in reverse. Oh. If I see people <laughs> leaving on all these lights in the house. I know. I'm like, I really like light. So, yeah. No, no and I, I can totally, totally see your with, point. With the, no, but totally worth it for your mental health to right. have lights on and maybe not lights blazing but right. a small lamp in the right. corner right right maybe just changes your mood exactly. i just think it's funny that that changes your mood and then i'm the other way with changing it my off. mood yeah so i really like that uh another thing is a comfort meal like soup or mm. warm bread i love both yeah i like soup through the summer yeah me too unlike my husband it's like too. it's too hot and at that tea party i tried that strawberry soup that was a savory Strawberry soup. Was it like a mint or? I don't know what they had in it, but it was savory strawberry with like salt. And I didn't think I would like it, but it was actually quite refreshing. That sounds amazing. It was good. I really like that. I love this one too. Writing pen to paper. Uh, Yeah. I'm a real paper person. You know, I'm doing the podcast. I'm not. Like I always come in with a typed. Mm -hmm. But around the house when I need lists, grocery lists, I have a notebook. Mm -hmm. I also have a notebook next to my bed. I don't. Mm -hmm. I really like pen to paper. Mm-hmm. There's something about it. I like sitting down and looking at cookbooks, writing mm-hmm. out my grocery list. Um, I'm the same so way. I, I really like that. 
everybody's like, put it on your phone. That's really I do have some little things Mm -hmm. on my phone, but I I don't know. For some reason, I really like that. I'm the same way. This is another thing. Everything natural, rustic or vintage. Tables, baskets, vases. Mm -hmm. And I really like that, too. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a lot of vintage things in my house. I have a really old chest. It's 200 years old. Oh. It's Jeff's grandma's, wow. who was 100, and her family brought it over. So, Are there any um, spirits attached to uh, that? There could be. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> Not as far as I know. My cat might think but so. He's always looking at things. Chest. Right. Wow. So I just love that kind so, of stuff yeah. in my home. Yeah. Burning logs in the fireplace. We actually do have a wood-burning mm-hmm. fireplace, and we really do enjoy that. I love that. the smell of a, like a real fire. Yes. For a while. Yeah, for a while. It does get a little dirty, but that's okay. How about a nice view through the window? Yes, that's a good one, too. Yeah, especially when it snowed or something. And with the book, with your blanket, with your tea. and A nice view. view. Yes. I just love all these plants or dried flowers in a vase. You know I have lots of plants. Oh, and here, an old vintage lamp. Probably not a real good use of your electricity, mm-hmm. but like, like, but having one, They're pretty, yeah. right? Pretty and um, and once again, if it makes you feel good and it gives you that sense right. of comfort, right. totally worth it, right? <laughs> Chocolate, enough said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love this too because, as you know from a previous podcast, I do love photo albums, mm-hmm. and so that was one of the things they listed as a photo album with favorite photos. Aww. And I love that and too. I can see that too, being mm-hmm. very comforting. Warm clothes, clothes that are comfy. Mm. Also, this was an interesting one. Less clutter. Mm. I'm a big proponent I, of that. Yeah. Like, I I think that it really feels good when you uh, have less clutter. Yeah. Well, you have a tendency to relax. Yeah. Too. Well, the Swedish Death Cleanse. Have you read that book? Yes. Yes. And same type of thing. When it, when there's less stuff, it is just comforting. It is. It is. And also, I'm willing to relax more mm-hmm. and not look at things like yeah. I should be. Right. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Right. So I love this one last thing. Decorating the home with pieces that have emotional value rather than following trends. I think that's a that's, hard one, yeah. but a good one. Yeah. Too. So. I'm just wondering if it can't be a little bit of both. Agree. Or maybe I'm just making my own trends. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think that it's impossible not to have some kind of trends. I mean, if you're, if you do shop, Mm -hmm. but I know we have three or four chairs in our house that are Jeff's great grandma's. Mm -hmm. We have that old chest and it is fun Mm -hmm. to have those items um, that were part of a family. Historical. Mm -hmm. We actually have another one piece where, (laughs) remember when uh, phones were plugged into the wall? Do you remember that? (laughs) But it's actually a little thing that you can sit on where you would set a phone and then it has a little indent where you would put a phone book oh, and you would sit there oh. on the phone. So we have that piece oh, too. And I always just think it's oh, cute. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> yeah. Back in the old days. Yep. Were they... Back in the old days. I, yeah. So a lady at work, no kidding, was, where are the phone books? And I'm like, oh, sweetheart, we don't have phone books anymore. Yeah. Can I look up the number? Because I had my phone. And, right. And she's like, no, I need a phone book. And I'm like, I'm sure, <laughs> certain I can find you this. I am um, it was certain. a furniture store. Right. And she's like, no, I need a phone book. Why is there not a phone book here? They're just not around so, anymore. I, they're not. No. And I did find her number. She was very grateful, and I did it without a phone book. Without a phone book. (laughs) Though Huga is often used to describe the way Danes survive winter, and it most definitely is the way I survive winter. It's called Hugelicht. Isn't limited to the cold months. 
So they had some really cute, I found some really cute ideas for not just Huga in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. Right? Because we really do want to feel good. Right. All year round. Yeah. And, and here in Oregon, I mean, we need vitamin D. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. But in spring, they talked about gar- having like a garden party mm-hmm. with flowers, mm-hmm. light colors, and taking shelter from the rain in a cafe. Mm-hmm. Just sounds so romantic. Um, in the summer, having barbecues in the backyard or a park, bonfires, which I was like, oh, that sounds really yeah. fun. Ice cream at the beach, strawberries. And by the way, we have amazing strawberries in Oregon. Yes, we do. Sorry, They're California. Not, it's not a very long season, but... Correct. Yeah. Come to Oregon and have some strawberries. Some good strawberries. Yes. Yeah. In autumn, old-fashioned apple cake, cinnamon, just the mm, smell of cinnamon. Mm-hmm. And they did say that as autumn comes, you know, you have more get-togethers because of the holidays. Mm-hmm. And, and so I love that. So already you're feeling good. Right. Hookah became popular because of the self-care and simple joy of the moment that it promoted. The hookah lifestyle promotes everything that soothes the soul. And tell me honestly, don't you think this is precisely what the world needs right now? Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. We live in stressful times, and finding that inner peace and comfort in our days has become a need. A void in us that attracted hookah to spread worldwide. There's a really cute book. I've, I've looked at it a lot online. I haven't bought it. It's by a Danish author. His name is Meek Wiking, and it's called The Little Book of Huga. Hmm. And this is a quote from him. Huga is humble and slow. It is choosing rustic over new, simple over posh, and ambiance over excitement. I love that. Yes. The happiest people don't have the best of everything. They just make the best of everything they have. Anonymous. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, 